Hi, travelers. This is Space Mountain Mission Control. Please bear with us. Your ship is being prepped for launch and should be ready to go soon. This palatial, self-contained aquapod is the perfect getaway for man and Martian alike with a gourmet kitchen and genuine moon rock garden. This portion of the news is brought to you by Excess Tech, encouraging you to seize the future with excess. Now the extended forecast for the planet Earth. In just a few moments, we'll be entering the newest and most exciting addition to the Tomorrowland skyline, Space Mountain. Hi, it's Space Mountain Mission Control here. Sorry we lost reception for a second, but you're nearly ready for liftoff. We're just charging up your ship's energy cells now, so try and bear with us. Now arriving at Space Mountain, Tomorrowland W Radio, your information station. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 148 for the week of December 6th, 2009. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Walt Disney World's Space Mountain opened recently after being closed for the summer for a refreshing of this classic attraction. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined for an exclusive interview by Disney Imagineer Alex Wright, a senior show designer with Walt Disney Imagineering and creative director of the Magic Kingdom's Space Mountain update. We'll look at what goes into updating one of Disney's most popular and beloved attractions, including the process of going from concept to reality. We'll also discuss the changes, additions, new technologies, nostalgia, as well as some of what you can and can't see as well. I'll play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. For the first time in almost 10 years, the classic Space Mountain attraction in Walt Disney World underwent its first substantial refurbishment this past summer. Officially announced in February, the attraction closed in mid-April for the busy summer season and reopened recently with a new look on the outside and many changes and surprises on the inside. And today, I'm pleased to be joined by Alex Wright, a senior show designer with Walt Disney Imagineering and creative director of the Magic Kingdom's Space Mountain Rehab. Alex, I want to welcome and congratulate you. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's got to be so exciting for you. I was thinking about this the other day to, you know, have the, the, the doors to Space Mountain reopen again and see your efforts and the efforts of everybody involved be realized and enjoyed by guests again. Absolutely. That's the the thing that is so exciting about working on these projects is the first time you get to stand there and watch people actually going in and enjoying the attraction and and seeing what you've been working on. That that's a, a great moment for all of us on the team. 
I'm sure. And really, what's, you know, when something like Space Mountain, which, you know, obviously isn't broken, still very, very popular after 35 years, what is sort of the catalyst for what Imagineering termed as a refreshment of an attraction like this? Well, we're constantly looking at all of our attractions and experiences in the parks with an eye toward uh, making improvements and, and plussing the storylines and plussing the uh, experience from a, from a guest perspective. And even with an attraction as iconic as Space Mountain, where, as you said, there, there wasn't anything broken about it, it was uh, you know, still as popular as ever. Uh, but, but again, we, we still look for opportunities to, to take it up to the next level and to, to push the, the storyline and the uh, visual experience just a little bit further. And how long does something like this, you know, how long has this really been in the works? I have to assume it's, it's been a relatively long amount of time. Yes, we had something like, uh, I don't have the exact dates in front of me, it was something like a seven-month downtime. And uh, with, with a project like that, you would have uh, probably a similar or even longer uh, preparatory period where you uh, put all the plans in place and, and get things lined up so that when you uh, get to that actual downtime of the construction, you're able to work as quickly and efficiently as possible. So when, when you finally make the decision to say, okay, we're going to take the attraction down, you know, what are some of the inspirations? What are some of those things that I'm sure this is when the, all the creative people at Imagineering say, okay, this is my chance to go in and do some wonderful things. So for example, we look at Disneyland, Space Mountain, very, very different after a two-year refurbishment back in 2003 you know were things like that ever considered or what kind of things do you look at when you realize you're going to be able to take the attraction down and make some of these changes to it well we always go through a pretty broad range of considerations but with uh an attraction like space mountain as as we mentioned before it's so iconic and so beloved that you really have to to look at each one as an individual case and look at it with an eye toward what it is that people respond to and, and where we have opportunities to uh, make changes that we think will improve that guest experience. And, and so each one is really a case-by-case basis and, and just kind of uh, everybody does come to the table with their ideas and, and put it into the mix. And, and even as you're going through the project, uh, you know, I, I constantly had people tugging on my arm with suggestions for little things to add in here or there to uh, take it up, you know, another notch at a time. I'm sure. And I'm sure there's got to be really no good time of year to do something like this, whether it's summer or spring break or the holidays. How do you sort of make that balance and say, OK, there's going to be guests that are going to be disappointed for X amount of time, but we have to take it down here? We're always very sensitive to that, and uh, we work very closely with our operating partners and look for the best the best time to do something like this. And when, when you're talking about a, a seven-month downtime, uh, it's not something you can fit in between you know, spring break and summer or, or between uh, Christmas and, and spring break. So you, you do have to make a choice to uh, take it down during one of your peak periods. Uh, and so it, it really is, that's, that's when the uh, partnership of all the different groups on property comes into play, and we just kind of look at it with a lot of different logistics in mind and, and try to come up with the best solution. So Space Mountain obviously has been next in a line of these classic, iconic attractions, as you say, over the past few years that have been updated, like Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion, even Spaceship Earth. When you work on an attraction like this, do you think that there's almost an added amount of pressure because of the guest expectations or the people's nostalgic and often sentimental atta- attachments to these attractions? 
Well, we certainly feel that, and I would say uh, I wouldn't exclude myself from that. I, I have a sentimental attachment to Space Mountain, so uh, you know, I, I do think that's uh, it's part of the uh, part of the process from the Imagineering side when you look at any of these. And you know, we have uh, Magic Kingdom is uh, nearing you know 40 years of operation, and inevitably you're going to have efforts that you have to go through from a, a maintenance standpoint just to kind of maintain the show quality and keep the attraction operating the way people expect. And, and so it's, it's when we have those chances to go in and, and look for chances to, to sort of maintain the attraction creatively as well that we, we really do have to be careful in our thought process about preserving you know, what works and, and what people really are attached to and, and uh, make sure that everything that we change is additive to that. So, so it, that's definitely a factor in any of those uh, refurbishment projects that, that you refer to. So you really almost have to look backwards as you go forwards. And to that end, do you maybe go back and look at some of the original concepts and drawings from people like a George McGinnis or a John Hench for inspiration or ideas or just sort of making sure you're keeping continuity in, in what the original is going forward? Absolutely. We, we pay a lot of attention to our original design intents and, and what our kind of core storylines are for a place like Tomorrowland or an attraction like Space Mountain. And, uh, you know, it's, it's often said that uh, a good idea never really dies here at Imagineering because there's always somebody who hangs on to it for the right opportunity or a, a piece of artwork that we have access to in our uh, image files and uh, that sort of thing is, is always an inspiration. And uh, And sometimes it's um, it's it's more a matter of taking an approach that was done before, but putting a contemporary eye on it. You know, uh, redressing the astronaut figures on the lift hill, for example. You know, over time, the approach that was taken the last time those were done looks a little bit dated to us. So so we take a chance to go through. So it, essentially, it's the same idea, just kind of rendered uh, today. Gotcha. So. Describe, if you can, you know, generally speaking, the process of going through and refurbishing attractions su- such as this, because I have to imagine that there are so many different disciplines and aspects of the company involved. It's got to be so difficult to coordinate or, or really orchestrate everybody involved. Yes. And, uh, you know, I have, I'm fortunate uh, in, in my role. I, I don't have to really get into the nuts and bolts of that other than responding to it with our uh, creative teams and making sure we're feeding things into the process whenever they're needed. But uh, that, that's another big partnership effort. We, uh, you know, I, I should make it clear on a project like uh, Space Mountain, we're working with other groups at Walt Disney World as well. We have our facility asset management group and our park, park operations, and in this case, you know, the, the photo team and, and, and others who all come together, and there's a lot of effort put into that uh, coordination that you refer to. So, you know, when I talked about the, the prep time leading up to that um, closure of the attraction, there's a lot of focus put on sequencing of activities and knowing what our long lead items are, what the critical path is for each schedule, so that um, we all know how to stay out of each other's way, but get all of our work done and, and go toward that, that end goal that we're all working toward. So let's talk about some of the changes, at least the ones specifically that we as guests can see. And, I, and they really range everything from the exterior to the queue to the load area and the ride and certainly the post show. Can you go through 
some of those changes and even maybe highlight for us some of the things that might not be initially visible to guests, but were important nonetheless? Well, the first key for me, as we always say, everything here revolves around story and um, the opportunity to update all of the graphics gave us a chance to really coordinate the delivery of our story points and, and uh, to streamline the aesthetic from the time a guest approaches the building to the time they exit. And uh, so that was the big opportunity from the creative side to, to impart that storyline. And, and so, so that was a big focus for us. Um, other, other efforts revolving around, you know, new paint and finishes and, and treatments that we kind of uh, touched all throughout the building, most of what a, what a guest sees were another chance, again, to streamline, to make sure that, you know, the, the, the changes that take place over time, addition of a fast pass structure, for example, or uh, different elements like that can kind of can create discontinuity. So this was our chance to to pull all that back together and and tell one story all the way through with a, a kind of focused aesthetic overlay. Um, the post show, I think, is an example of something that's very visible to guests and um, tells a different kind of story than what was there before. So we we are now able to kind of play off of the uh, golden age of rocket travel mindset that we brought to the rest of the experience and show people these various places they can go and adventures they can have in, in far reaches of the galaxy. Um, and so, so those are, you know, the more visible elements. And then, well, the- if, if, can I stop you for a second? Because I wanted to talk to you specifically about the story, because I think for many guests, it sometimes is lost on them that there is a story not just for the individual attraction, but an overriding story for Tomorrowland as a whole. Can you tell us a little about what guests who are entering Space Mountain should be looking for as far as what their the story that they're entering, this three-dimensional experience that they're entering, what that is supposed to be and then how it does tie in with the rest of Tomorrowland? Sure. Well, I think for Tomorrowland, you know, the... the um the vision from Walt and, and sort of the imagineering vision of a future is a bright and optimistic place. We see this as a, a place where um, things work well. It's not a, it's, it's a, you know, it's a happy future. And, and so we've tried to keep this Space Mountain in particular in, in a vein that is playful and fun and implies this sort of casual nature of intergalactic space travel. You can hop on a rocket and go anywhere you want, and, and it's, it's all taken care of for you. Uh, so I think that part of it, is, you know, we, we wanted it to be bright and um, happy. And so you'll see that in, in a lot of the graphics. And so when we, when we have a welcoming message at the entrance from the starport, I, I guess I should focus on that for a moment, the, the key story element that we really kind of drove home was this idea of uh, Starport 7-5 as the departure point for your trip. And um, the departure point for Space Mountain was never defined as anything other than Space Mountain and being on the, the launch platform. Uh, but in, in looking at what Disneyland did a few years ago where they added the identity of Space Station 77 with the, the, the number obviously being a nod to the year that attraction opened, we wanted to create an identity for ours, but we didn't want to do it in the same 
vernacular uh, in part because we wanted to reference all of the different space mountains within this, this world. Um, so we took our cue from the fact that once you go into the building, you enter the first uh, corridor in the tunnel, you see uh, views out to space. And so clearly at this point, you're already off the planet. You're no longer in Tomorrowland. You are on this uh, floating starport platform and uh, actually making a journey back to Tomorrowland. So, uh, so Starport 75 was a, was a key component for us, and, and from that we, we were able to uh, branch off into the, the departure board that shows all of the potential flights you could hop on, and the route maps that are shown in the uh, up-ramp in the queue that kind of uh, imply all the connections, and it's almost like reading the in-flight magazine on, on, the, on your uh, modern-day flight. And um, then when we land, we've gone back to Tomorrowland to Tomorrowland Station MK1 and uh, take the moving walkway out onto the promenade. Uh, so that, that's, the, that's the trip we're making. And the, the implication, again, is, is that this is a carefree, everyday occurrence. And, and space travel over long distances is, is no sweat. <laughs> Gotcha. So we're not traveling to some remote destination. We're actually traveling back, really, to Tomorrowland in, in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Yes. And you mentioned, too, about the colors. People will notice as they as they approach the exterior, there is a completely new color scheme. The, the reds and oranges are somewhat gone for the most part, and now there's a new brighter green. Was that just an aesthetic choice that you wanted to bring in? It was primarily aesthetic. It was, you know, again, in... in trying to keep this idea of, the, of a happy future and um, the exuberance of it. You know, we've got splashy colors. All of our uh, space imagery is amped up just a little bit on uh, color so that, that it's uh, bright and warm and inviting. And uh, so the, that kind of set our base palette, knowing that we're working with the the existing whites and blues that, that make the exterior of the mountain and, and some portions of the interior, plus the metallics that we were bringing in with the new handrails and, and some other um, operational elements, we kind of used those as the core and then applied uh, a broader range of color, splashy color, into focal points in the graphics package. And the green that you mentioned is really just sort of an accent that, that played nicely against that, um, that core palette. Right. So let's talk about the queue, really the first thing that people are going to see, really one of the most notable changes and plussing of the attraction is in the queue uh, with these interactive screens and games. Tell us a little bit about the changes to the queue and the game specifically. Well, it, that's um, another extension of an idea that we've, we've been pursuing, looking at um, the queue experience, and, and you, I'm sure you're aware of the uh, games that were added to the standby queue at Soren a couple years ago. And so this was a different application of a similar idea. Uh, each one is case in point, I mean, I'm sorry, case study uh, based on the specifics of the queue configuration. You um, can't treat them all the same. You know, this is a continuous flow queue and, and uh, fast, fast, and standby right there side by side. So um, it was a different type of installation. And uh, you know, we, we tried to build our 
games around something that may, would make sense in a in a starport like this. So they're just sort of um, you know entertainment that is uh, built off of the location, which is really kind of what we try to do here at Imagineering. Right, and there are a number of stations. There's a, what about eighty six or so stations. Yes, that that is the number. So we anticipate that once a guest, uh, when we get in, you know, full operating conditions and fast pass and standby and and uh, a normal wait time, that people will have the opportunity to play a couple of games on their way through there. So the idea is that a guest will stop at a station, play a game when when it gets to that point in the cycle. Then we have um, interstitial pieces that go. Um, in between that, that allow guests to move along as far as the queue will allow, and then whenever the next game cycle comes up, the, they stop again, take a game position, and, and it's really just you know, there to, to entertain people while they, while they wait, because you know, we, we know that a, class, a big attraction like Space Mountain is, is almost inev- inevitably going to have a, a wait for guests. Yeah, what I noticed the few times that I've ridden Space Mountain so far was that the games are timed very well insofar that you're not standing there waiting for the person in front of you to finish their game and then there's a huge gap in the line. They seem to be timed out well so that the game ends, you move along, there's sort of that in-between narration or things on the screen and then when you stop, it's time to start playing a game again. Right, that is the intention and we want to keep people moving toward the, the goal of getting on the attraction. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's there to fill that time for you and, and, and keep you entertained. And then, uh, you know, from there, you, you get to move into the uh, launch platform and see the rockets taking off. And the nice thing, too, is the games are not individualized for each person in the, in the queue. You're playing with or against, as it were, other people who are next to you. So on each screen, what is it, anywhere from maybe five to eight people are playing on the same screen together. So they can either sort of join forces or... or compete for scores right we like the fact that there's a collaborative uh component to each of the games uh, some more than others but it, it everybody gets to to play as an individual but there is kind of a, a group co- collective goal that you're all trying to uh, work together on and that that's part of that um the the positive future that we're envisioning and there'll there's going to be a total of there's more than one game currently and you're going to have a total of how many games to be played in the queue? So it's not sort of a repetitive thing every time. Right. It will be four games on a, on a cycle. Okay. And were there any other changes made specifically to the queue area? Uh, on the fast pass side, we have done a little bit of work freshening up the, the show scenes, the views out into space with the, the um, transport vehicle and the satellite and some, some pieces just to, uh, again, you know, kind of maintain those, uh, show elements as, as well as we could today. Yeah, and being one of those nostalgics, I was happy to see that sort of the fisheye lens out into space with the occasional ride vehicle going by. It, it was something that was very welcome to see again, although, again, refreshed and a little bit cleaner than it was earlier. Right, we, ha- we have these kind of touchstones, and I, I think while you know, the, the games went into that general part of the queue on the standby side, to envision Space Mountain without those kind of classic effects that people are so connected to, I, I think would have been a bit of a shame. So we're glad to see those stay in sort of an enhanced state. Right. And another dramatic uh, 
thing that guests are going to notice is when they do enter into the load area, because number one, we certainly notice that it's darker. Number two, it's almost brighter because of the blue neon accents and visually looking up no longer into the ride portion of the building, you now look into some very, very impressive projections on the ceiling. Right. We, we, one of the big uh, areas of focus uh, on the ride, it was to take the light level in the uh, ride building down to a, to a darker level than what was there before. And one of the, a couple of the key areas that were casting light up there were the load areas and uh, the departure point where the um, PTA exits the building. So we worked in both of those spots. We enclosed the queue so that you no longer see up into the ride building, but also so that you don't see it from the ride. And that gave us a chance to extend our placemaking. So, yeah, by, by uh, giving us a, a location to put our star field and the images that you referenced of, uh, of various objects out in space, you know, near and far, I, I think it really uh, gives the gives the platform a sense of place that it didn't really have before and, and does a lot of things for us uh, functionally and from a story standpoint. Yeah, and before we get to the actual ride itself. The one thing that I had noticed, and this just could have been me being giddy and excited to see Space Mountain again, was that the line seemed to move much faster and it also seemed to load much quicker than it has before. Is that something that I was dreaming or was done or was certainly something that was intentional by WDI? Well, uh, definitely intentional, but not just WDI. That is definitely an area where we work with our operating partners and, and others on property using, you know, learnings that we've had in, in management of attractions in the time since Space Mountain was built to reconfigure the queue and uh, even the launch stations to allow for more efficient operation of the attraction. And um, it, it is expected that there's going to be a noticeable improvement in the efficiency of the attraction, the number of guests it carries on an hourly basis, uh, which we think is a huge plus for for an attraction like Space Mountain that so many people want to want to see during their visit at Magic Kingdom. Yeah, and the other thing too, obviously in the load area, guests are going to notice that there are the safety gates in front of the boarding area. And I guess this is one of those occasions where when an attraction does go down for refurbishment, it's not due to safety concerns, but also gives you an opportunity to increase, uh, you know, safety precautions throughout the ride? Right. We always want to bring any of our operating criteria up to our state of the art. And, and that is something that had been, uh, you know, you've seen that in a lot of, a lot of attractions uh, over the years. And, and uh, it was definitely an improvement to that operating efficiency that you mentioned before. And in this case, uh, I find those to be a really great aesthetic enhancement because I think they're just uh, really uh, nicely machined, cool-looking pieces of equipment that add to the, the place rather than being just a, a functional backdrop. Yeah, and I got the sense that there w- even in, in this area and with um, the signs that were behind the cast members in the load area, I got more of a sense of the story, and I don't know if, if, if that comes through here, but I got more sense of a story because of the load gates that I really was sort of loading onto this rocket ship to go to whatever my destination was going to be. Right. We tried to have a bit more fun with those. I mean, the, the aesthetic before was a little bit more mission-driven. If you think about when Space Mountain came about, you know, the, the, uh, on the heels of, of the NASA flights to the moon and, and, and what people 
sort of envisioned space travel as at that time. And so it, it had a, 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 a utilitarian overlay to it, and we tried to move in a different direction to play up the, the travel aesthetic and the, the, the fun of it. So, so that was an area where we, we really did kind of uh, um, try to tweak the verbiage and, and have some fun with the look of those pieces. Right, and speaking of the look, the ride vehicles themselves change slightly in that the color palette and the, the paint scheme is different. The seats seem a little bit different. But one thing that I know people were potentially looking for that's not there was the on-ride audio that people that we have out in Disneyland. Uh, tell us about the differences in the vehicles and, and the consideration maybe about doing on-ride audio. Well, we like like I said before, we look at each of the attractions as an individual uh, instance and you know the things that we really like about the Space Mountain and that we think people guests really like about them one, one of the things that gets highlighted quite often is those rockets and the fact that they're low slung and you're close to the track and it just gives you this sort of visceral experience that um, isn't really found in a lot of roller coaster attractions today and and so that was a part of the decision-making process, and and you know, from an aesthetic, aesthetic standpoint, we really did appreciate the opportunity to go in and freshen up the color palette and um, and rework the look of those rockets and and make them live a little bit more uh, comfortably in the new environment we were creating. Uh, and I, one of the other things that I, I know people are curious about is the uh, deletion of the glow strips, and uh, that was something that was a direct result of testing that we did before we took down the attraction where we, we rode through the ride building in absolute darkness, not even any effects lights on. And when, when you, and we knew that our goal was to reduce light levels uh, in the finished piece. When you ride through in the dark, the glow strips that used to be on the vehicles put out a bubble of light around the vehicle that highlighted every bit of track and railing and everything nearby. <laughs> And really, sort of uh, worked against us. So that was a decision that we made along the way that uh, might not be readily evident to people, but we think is actually a, a big part of of making the ride experience better. And I agree. And to that end, the ride experience itself, the first thing you notice is that it is much, much darker than it was before, which I think enhances what was already a very exhilarating ride. I also felt that it was much smoother and also much quieter than it was before. Tell us about some of the changes to the ride itself and maybe any new technologies that were implemented. Um, all, I'd say all those things are true. It is um, quieter and smoother and darker, and we there's no um, like really concise answer as to why that is other than we, you know, care and attention on the track. There was some new... Uh, work done to the vehicle undercarriage to make it ride on the track a little bit differently. And so it was really kind of a cumulative effect. And, um, you know, all, all the little pieces that we touched put together did have a noticeable Im- improvement in, in the ride quality. And, and uh, especially, you know, as you mentioned, the, the quietness of it, uh, which, which is really kind of an exhilarating part of this ride through space. And, and by, by reducing the light levels and giving people less of a chance to anticipate those movements, uh, I, I think that really does kind of up the thrill factor. Absolutely. As somebody who's ridden it countless hundreds of times, I can tell you it was almost a new experience. 
I knew the track hadn't changed, but I almost didn't know what was coming next. So if you haven't ridden it yet, the the darkness really does plus up the on-ride experience as well. As you come off and as you disembark from your vehicle, another new element is the on-ride photo uh, that I think maybe people don't realize when they first get on is there. Tell us about implementing um, that and sort of that, that whole process. Well, that is, uh, you know, something that had been requested quite often by guests, and, and so our, our photo team was looking for a chance to put it in, and obviously this uh, refurb of the attraction was, was a good time to do that work. Um, in terms of location, you know, they, they were uh, challenged by our need to take down the light levels. We had to make sure that wherever this system went, it didn't put any additional light out into the uh, building. So, you know, again, on a, as I said, case-by-case basis, this, you know, location was determined, and, and what that allowed us to do, you know, from a creative standpoint was also install a new effect at the end of the tunnel that helps us with um, sort of making the, the camera flashes that are required to take those pictures a little bit more organic, so organic to the storyline. So the... Um, effect at the end of the tunnel now represents the, the energy source, this kind of floating blue orb of energy that is feeding the bands of, of uh, light that are charging the vehicle as you pass through that tunnel. And then in, as you get to the end, it sort of sort of amps up and goes white hot and, and crackles and pops as you exit the tunnel, sort of like decoupling a battery. And um, that, that trail of sparks kind of leads around the corner to the uh, to the camera flashes, um, and then the, as, as you mentioned, the display of those takes place in the unload platform, so everybody has a, a quick, direct look at the picture as soon as they get off the ride, and, and then uh, they're directed from there up to the uh, merchandise shop at the exit of the building uh, where they can pick up their passport photos if they choose. <laughs> right. And so to that end, you know, getting from the uh, the unload platform to the Tomorrowland Power and Light Company has always been one of my favorite portions of the attraction as well. The, the post-show is almost a show in and of itself. This is also very different. There's, again, also that sense of nostalgia. There's also very many tributes here, and just a quick aside, the whole sense of nostalgia on behalf of many, many guests. Thank you for keeping the Star Tunnel music in there. It's one of those small pieces that... I'm sure may have possibly been overlooked, but that people are grateful that is still there. Right. And, and, you know, as I said, there are a lot of people who worked on this attraction who have that same kind of attachment that you're referring to. And to that end, that in that post-show area, um, you, we notice here, and again, there's that extension of the story here, but there's a lot of tribute here to past attractions, both in the queue and the post-show area. Tell us just from your Imagineering perspective, you know, how and why you decide to put those in and maybe one or two that we should keep our eyes out for? Well, I think um, part of it is, you know, when you, when you go to uh, fill in a control panel with some copy or to put some travel stickers on a suitcase from space or, you know, you have any reason to generate content, um, you know, why not make it something that has multiple layers of, of meaning? And so, you know, we, we like the idea of embedding those little references so that for the guest who is in tune with that and knows the, the reference points and, and uh, 
might enjoy them. It's it's an added little uh, bonus, but it still works for somebody someone who doesn't know that backstory uh, because it's appropriate to the environment and the atmosphere that we're trying to create. So there's a there's a mood and sensibility that's uh, kind of first and foremost. But when you have to put words in there, why not make them interesting and meaningful? So. Um, so that's something where the team, you know, we, we had a, a show writer working on the attraction with us, and whenever time came to, to fill in any of those blanks, uh, we would get together and, and just kind of have fun riffing on, on reference points we could pull in, especially, you know, and you'll note that most of the ones that were uh, drawn into this are from other Disney future or space-related um, instances. So uh, that that's another kind of extension of this alternate universe. Yeah, and I love the fact that you do reference other attractions and, and I'll have people go and try and find them on their own, like Horizons or individuals like Disney legend John Hench, who was instrumental in the creation of the original Space Mountain. And I know that oftentimes Imagineers take those opportunities to put personal tributes or details in as well. They put their their old office phone numbers or their kids' birthdays, whatever it is. So you might not recognize them, but for the most part, like you said, everything has a story. Everything probably has a meaning behind it. But the uh, the post-show area, again, with new scenes, again, keeping somewhat consistent to what we had before. And I have to assume by what I've seen so far, there's more to come in the post-show area as well. Yes, the very end of the up-ramp uh, before you enter the light and power, power and light station um, is still a work in progress. We have a uh, an extension of the earlier scenes that's going to kind of um, pay off. There, we're going to we're bringing back a green screen chroma key effect that will take the guests uh, out of the captured video as they go by and place them into backdrops that reference the scenes in the first three vignettes along that pathway. So. So now it's about the starport showing you in all these places you can go and, and really just kind of connecting that part of the uh, exit ramp to the earlier scenes in a way that, again, feels feels connected and feels organic to the story. Yeah, and I think that's something I guess need to be aware of is that just because the doors have opened and the attraction has reopened again, there's always additional elements or tweaks that are forthcoming. It seems like WDI is always looking to continually approve upon. And to that end, what has the guest reaction been, and are you taking sort of guest uh, responses as they as they come out? Uh, people are. I mean, anecdotally, we've, we've kind of spent some time hanging around and just kind of listening to people, and and uh, they don't really get into the more formalized survey process till they really have the attraction fully up and running and, and considered to be complete. But um, it's been fun. I, I think uh, for me the. The nicest thing to hear so far is that people do appreciate our attempts to find that balancing point that you asked about initially of finding uh, the right amount of um, reverence for existing pieces that really kind of make the experience and, and again, looking for opportunities to, to uh, plus it around that whenever we can. So I, I think that's been... Uh, fairly consistent and and probably one of the most rewarding things to hear from from where I sit. Yeah, and and again, not trying to speak for every other guest, but I think a lot of guests like the fact 
that it was not substantially changed because I think much of Space Mountain's charm comes from many of those little elements that we've talked about, like the blue launch tunnel, like the music, yes, even the ride vehicles themselves, and the same having keeping the same track layout and the overall look and feel and not changing in, in a major way that, that overall experience, like a pirate and like a haunted mansion refurb, I think that's what people enjoy. I think the addition of new technologies but not changing what people come to expect from Space Mountain is why this is, like you said, more of a refreshment than an overhaul and a refurbishment. Right. That was definitely our intention. And, and the, the fact is, when you go into a project like this and you have Space Mountain as your starting point, you, you do want to be careful not to, you know, <laughs> to use your words, not break what isn't broken or not <laughs> not try to fix what isn't broken. Right. Sorry. Um, so so I think that was that's all part of the uh, part of the process. Excellent. Well, I uh, I will tell you that I have enjoyed it. I am looking forward to riding it over and over again and looking for more of those things that you can't necessarily pick up the first time you go back. And um, Alex Wright, senior show designer with Walt Disney Imagineering and, by the way, author of the Imagineering Field Guides to Walt Disney World. We're all anxiously awaiting Disney's Hollywood Studios, by the way. Thank you so much for taking the time and, and congratulations to you and your team once again. Thanks very much, Lou. It was great talking with you. You too. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks go out to Alex Wright from Walt Disney Imagineering. And congratulations to him and everyone involved in the Space Mountain Refreshment. You can check out Alex's Imagineering Field Guides to Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, and Disney's Animal Kingdom are available now. Disney's Hollywood Studios is coming soon. I'll put links in the show notes to where you can purchase these books directly from Amazon.com. Don't forget, there's still time to enter last week's Walt Disney World What's My Line contest where you can win a WDW Radio prize pack. Also, don't forget about the WDW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream in February 2011. Remember, some categories have sold out. For more information and a free quote, videos, deck plans, pictures, and lots more, you can visit WDWRadioCruise.com. Also, if you want to be part of the WDW Radio team, this is the last week that I'm going to be looking for volunteers. You don't have to be local to Orlando for most of them. I have a list of positions and an application in the show notes where you can submit the form. Again, you can find those in the show notes for this week's episode. Don't forget, if you have any questions you want answered on the air, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, you can call the voicemail toll-free 888-703-2171. Be sure and come by, follow me on Twitter, friend me up on Facebook, and join the WDW Radio Show fan page. Links to all those are right on the homepage of WDWRadio.com. Also, just for the holidays, I've reduced the price of the audio guides to Walt Disney World's for the holiday season. Downloads are just $5.99. CDs are $7.99. You can buy all three and save just $15.99 for the three-pack of downloads or $17.99 for CDs. You can also get signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books also on sale. Look for the link at WDWRadio.com on the top right-hand corner for the shop. 
Stay tuned for the next WDW Radio Live coming soon. Also, if you're a subscriber to Celebrations Magazine, you should have issue 8 in your mailbox now. We're also going to be reprinting issues 2 and other issues as well. For more information to subscribe or back issues, you can visit celebrationspress.com. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel, All-Star Vacation Homes, and DVC by Resale.com. Also, I'm sorry to say for this upcoming week in Walt Disney World, I am not going to be able to attend the meet of the month on Friday, December 11th, the NFFC show and sale on Saturday the 12th, or the celebrations meet on Sunday the 13th. While I've always tried to not let my personal life affect the show, my father's unfortunately very sick. I need to take him for treatment up in New York and I don't know when I will be back, and I will unfortunately not be able to attend any of these meets. I'm really sorry for any inconveniences causes anybody, and hope that you still go and meet up in Norway with other listeners on Friday, enjoy the show and sale on Saturday, and meet Tim Foster and other people who are part of the Celebrations Magazine team on Sunday. As always, my friends, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review the show on iTunes. Come say hi on Facebook and join our fun, friendly, and very welcoming forums over at WDWRadio.com. Thank you to you, as always, for taking the time and tuning in. So until next time, take that first step to following your dreams and remember to always, always keep moving forward. I hope you guys have a great week this week. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Jeff from Franklin, Indiana. I uh, just listened to your recent uh, listener question with Becky and wanted to comment. Uh, you had gotten a question about someone who was looking at getting no expiration tickets for their kids who were currently under nine, but uh, by the time they used the new expiration date, would be over uh, the nine-year-old mark. And I wanted to let you know that um, we ran into that instance with two of my children um, and our last visit we took our children's tickets up explained what the situation was that we had bought them when they were indeed children but that they were now over the 10 and they exchanged us for adult tickets at no additional charge I don't know if that's policy or not but again I had that happen with uh, two of my children and also my nephew and that was in Spring of this year. Just wanted to give you the heads up. Again, no additional charge, and they changed it to an adult ticket for us. Thanks. Bye. Hi. I know a lot of people in New York like to go to the World of Disney store on 55th and 5th. I just wanted to let you know that we had gone there um, recently, and they told us they no longer do character meet and greet. This is the World of Disney store, and uh, I know a lot of people go specifically for that. Take care. Bye-bye. John from New York. Hey, Lou. This is Dave uh, calling from uh, from Disney World. We just flew down here from the, the freezing cold state of Maine, and we're standing in front of the castle. They're about to light it up, and I wanted to thank you. We just got your CDs last week, and uh, we played all three of them about ten times each, and it's great information, and we're putting it to use down here. And we just had our first Dole Whips ever, and they were amazing. Having a great time. Love your show, and uh, we'll be listening to you. Thanks. Hey, Lou. This is Sue. We're calling from Disney World. Uh, I just wanted to let you know we did the Mickey's Very Merry, Merry Christmas Party last night. We had a great time. 
And I wanted to let the listeners know, um, for anybody that has gluten um, intolerance or gluten allergies, um, they do offer uh, gluten-free cookies at the party. So you have to ask for them, but um, they offer the gluten-free cookies. And they're nice big chocolate chip cookies, very yummy. In fact, they're better than the sugar cookies they have give out to everybody else. But the party was great. Also, one other thing I wanted to let you know, today we ate lunch over at um, uh, what's that place? Backstage Lot. And when you, when you get your receipt for eating lunch, they give you a coupon on your receipt for 20% off um, select locations at Disney World stores. Um, so you can get 20% off your merchandise between 9 a.m. and 12 p.m. And it's good for uh, through December 15th. So I just want to let people know to look out for um, when you're getting your meal. Um, that's all. Just wanted to report in. We're having a great time in Florida. Have a magical day, everybody. Bye-bye.